Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to talk to you today about the entrance the entrance that Jesus provided through His shed blood and how that entrance brings us to a place that we can come boldly to the throne of God. You know, when we talk about the righteousness that we are in Christ, which was what I was uh, referring to in our our current television uh, series, uh, we we are talking about what He has made available to us in that salvation. But one way for us to strengthen ourselves in that righteousness is to go back and look at the price he paid, to see what was necessary for Jesus to acquire, what, for Jesus to accomplish, to allow you and I to have an entrance into the presence of God. So Hebrews chapter 9 is an interesting, uh, an interesting chapter because it's talking about the Old Testament tabernacle, and it's giving us a, a, a reference point for us who walk in the New Testament, for us who have a, 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 an entrance by the way that this was a shadow of. What, what the Old Testament gave us was a picture of how we enter in the New Testament. And so let's read here in these verses, Hebrews 9, I'm going to read 1 through 8. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We we also refer to it as the holy place. The holy place. So in some teachings you'll hear it referred to as as the, the holy place and the most holy place. Because there were two different uh, um, areas. There was different types of activities that took place in each area and different levels of entry. For for instance, in the Old Testament, let's talk about, for instance, the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle in the wilderness was surrounded with those skins and as, as a fence around this area. But there was a gate that they would enter through. And when they came in through that gate, the, the, what they would see would be what we would refer to as the courtyard. That, that, that area that contained the brazen altar, which was quite large. It was, it was a large altar and underneath was a basin that the blood of the animals that were sacrificed on the brazen altar would all run down into this basin and then they would take of that collected blood and they would, they would take it into uh, the presence of God for worship. This outer courtyard had also in it what we refer to as the laver. It was a... My grandmother used to have a bird bath, and that's what the pictures that I've seen remind me of. Have you ever seen a bird bath, and it's like a little bowl on a stand? Well, this bowl on the stand, it, it was covered in mirrors, and they would keep the water in it, and the, the, the priest would wash looking at themselves in the mirror as they prepared to enter into the holy place. The Levitical priests were allowed to operate and do their activities around the altar, around the laver, but they weren't all allowed into the holy place. The the Levitical priests had their activities in that first courtyard entrance, and then the priests had their responsibility in the holy place, and then the most holy place, or what is often referred to as the holiest of the holy of holies, 
was only for the high priest. Only one person was allowed entrance into that place, and it was the high priest. And we're going to see one of the requirements of his entrance. But so in each one of those levels of God's presence, we see a different level of consecration. What was required of the Levitical priest was a, was a, a lower requirement than the priests who did their operation in the holy place. In the holy place, there was uh, the incense, there was the uh, table of showbread, there was the, uh, the, 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 those different places, but in the most holy place was where the presence of God dwelt and where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Each level was a different level of the presence of God and each level required a different uh, commitment or consecration to operate in them. And each level had a different operation of the blood. The blood was brought uh, from the altar. The blood was placed on the different instruments inside the holy place. They, they, on the, the uh, incense, the, they, they, they consecrated those instruments, those, those um, pieces of furniture is what it's referred to, the furniture in these different places. They, they consecrated it with the blood, but then they, they carried the blood into the holy place to pour it onto the mercy seat for, to cover the sins of the people. And they did it every year. There was such an interaction with the blood that it taught the people the only way for me to approach God is by the blood. That was the only approach to God. And that's why when we began to look at the Old Testament interactions and when it says Noah, the very first thing Noah did after the ark landed was he sacrificed to God. He sa- it was a blood sacrifice that, that purged the earth, right? There was that interaction with Abraham where he was continually offering, building an altar and offering sacrifices to God because the approach to God was only by the blood. And so uh, this that we see here, these different pieces of furniture, these different instruments of worship are significant only because they show us a picture of what's actually in heaven. These are replicas. There is a tabernacle in heaven. The blood of Jesus is on the mercy seat in heaven. Amen? All of the pieces of furniture in heaven have been cleansed by His blood and there is an entrance for us now that was not available to the Old Testament worshipers. It said in verse 3, for instance, it begins to refer to the holy place. It says, after the second veil, the holy of holies, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, The priest could enter into the first tabernacle to accomplish the service of God. But into the second, the Holy of Holies, went the high priest alone or only. Only the high priest. Not without blood. He went once every year, but he did not enter without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. The Holy Spirit was signifying through this Old Testament worship signifying that the way into the Holy of Holies was not yet available for them. We are in a different dispensation, a different covenant. We're going to see that the the way, the entrance into the Holy of Holies 
is available for us. Hallelujah. By the blood of Jesus. So again, let's, let's see this interaction with the blood throughout Scripture. Leviticus 17.11. Leviticus 17.11 is an in, interesting element of the interaction with the blood. Because I have to be honest with you. When I first got saved, I thought it was inappropriate for them to be talking about blood in church. I'm like, now come on. What is all this talk about blood in church? And I really did not understand what went on with God asking Abraham to offer his son. I thought, what? And so as I began to see the the covenant aspect and the uh, necessary uh, application of the blood, that without the blood, God had a, a limited interaction with people. Without the blood, because of Adam's fall, since the fall of Adam, God supplied the blood as an approach to him. And without the blood, there was not a relationship available with God. So Leviticus 17.11 says that it gives us the reason why. If you want to know why did God use blood, this will help you see why God established blood as an approach to him. It says the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Well, we know that if someone loses the blood out of their body, they're no longer alive. It's the, it's the blood that is transporting the oxygen, transporting all of the different, the different signals to the synapsis of all of the different uh, nerve endings. It's the blood that is providing this, this uh, life in a person's body. So he says, the life is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar. I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. Why? Why does the blood make an atonement? Now, Old Testament atonement, always keep in mind New Testament cleansing. Atonement was referring to a covering, a, covering, a paying of a price. But in the New Testament, it is, a, it is a different blood that's used and a different result. Because the blood is not the blood of animals in our covenant. The blood is the blood of the Son of God Himself, Jesus. And so the life is in the blood. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they put themselves in a position of separation from God. And for God to interact with them, He had to cover the sin. And the way to cover the sin was the life of the innocent animal that was sacrificed. So let's look at the first mention of the blood. The first, it, well, let's say this, it's a reference to the blood. Because in Genesis 3.21, we don't see the word blood, but we know that blood had to be shed to make this covering. Genesis 3 and verse 21, Unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. He made coats of skins. For that to happen, innocent animals died. The life, the life that was sacrificed to cover mankind was an innocent life and it was necessary for this covering for there to be an interaction, a relationship with God. Genesis 4, 4, we have another indication of this requirement of the blood because God begins to teach people how to approach Him. And in Genesis 4 and verse 4, it says, Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. So he brought a sacrifice. He brought the first of his flock. 
he brought an animal sacrifice, so that's going to require the blood to be shed. And it says that God had respect unto his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he did not have respect. He had not respect. And Cain was wroth and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? So God is talking to Cain, clarifying to Cain, if, if you do well, why are you mad? If you would do well, you know, Hebrew says, by faith Abel offered. Right? Does Hebrew 11 indicate faith? It says, by faith. How does faith come? Hearing the word. So God told them how to approach him. He told them, you need to come by the blood. You need to have blood. Why? Because there's sin standing between us and the only thing that, that satisfies that sin, that, that covers that sin, is the blood of the innocent animal that is given for your life. So God said, I have given you the blood to cover. I have given you the blood to cover, to make an atonement for your souls. So he's telling Cain, if you would do what I said. He's talking to him personally right here in this verse saying, if you do well, what is well? If you would do what I told you to do, would, you would be accepted too. He was trying to bring what came from the cursed place, the earth. The earth had been cursed because of the fall. And so he's working out of that cursed place trying to please God with what he could provide, what he could bring, what he could make. Look at what I've done. But none of us can come on our own merit. None of us are righteous in ourselves without Christ. It is only by his blood that we've been made righteous. Without the blood, we're not, we're, we're not, we have no standing without the blood. We have no approach to God without the blood. And so when Cain is trying to approach God and, and refuses to bring blood to cover his sin, he cannot be accepted. And it's not because God didn't want to accept him. God's talking to him saying, if you would come to me the way I established, I would be able to accept you too. If you would come to me on the basis of what I explained, what I told you, if you would come by faith and bring, he could have taken and he could have bartered with his brother and said, I, I'm going to take the first of my fruit and I'm going to give it to you and you give me one of the, the, the sheep that you have so that I have something to offer to God. Amen. The blood is the necessary approach that God established. Another great example is one that we often use over communion or at Easter. And it's found in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13 says that the blood will be a token. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. They're preparing to come out of Egypt they are, are offering up the Passover lamb. They have every one of them prepared a lamb for their house in, in obedience to the instruction of God. They have this lamb in their house and God gives them specific instruction of how to prepare it and how to partake of it. He said, eat all of it. Don't let any of it remain. And when you're eating, go ahead and put your traveling clothes on because you're eating because you're coming out. When you partake of the, the provision of the lamb, there's liberty that's about to happen. So you might as well have your walking shoes on. You might as well have your, your loin girt about because you're, you're about to leave this bondage. You're about to leave this life that you've been living before and enter in to the land that I've prepared for you. So he says, I want you to eat it. And I want you to eat all that he has provided for us in the lamb. But then he gives them specific instruction about the blood. He said the blood needs to be placed in, the, in an area above the doorpost and on each side of the doorpost. 
And that blood is then a symbol that I will recognize. That blood is a symbol because when judgment comes on Egypt, the, 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 the judgment that comes will pass over those where the blood is applied. Those who have the blood over their lives will not receive the same judgment that's coming on the world. They won't suffer the same hardships that are coming on the world who are refusing the word of God, refusing the light of God, refusing the leading of God's spirit. But those who, listen, even if they were God's people, even if they loved God, if they neglected or refused to put the door Uh, the blood over the door, they were not safe. The blood provided a supernatural protection. It was a a symbol that judgment can't come on me. It was a symbol that that's not happening here. No loss here. Hallelujah. And so their faith, it, it was faith that took the blood and put it over the doorpost. Can you imagine, can you imagine what they must have, having already seen some of the other plagues that had taken place in Egypt, hear that God had kept them in the land of Goshen when, when it was so dark in Egypt that they could not see to get up and move across the room. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face that the Egyptians, it was so dark. I mean, that's just not moonlight. That's just not, it was so, the darkness was so thick that nobody got up out of their chair. But there was light in the houses of God's people. When the lice and the the boils, all of those other things that attacked And the judgments, they were judgments that were coming on. God kept his people. They walked out and there are are all of the Egyptians' cattle have died. But look at God's people. Their cattle was untouched. And now here they are. And God says, now we're going a step further. In this protection, I want you to put the blood on your house. I want you to put the blood over the entrance to your house. And with that blood application, your family will be safe. Your kids will be kept. Amen? They put the blood over their doorpost. And he said, it's going to be a token, a token when I see the blood. So God is, was looking for the blood. When I see the blood, he wants to look at our life and see that we've been applying the blood over our marriage. We've been applying the blood over our finances, applying the blood when our children get up to go to school, applying the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt." So the blood of the lamb was a supernatural redemption from the curse. And then in Exodus 29, God has taken his people. He's led them out. They're preparing and and setting up the tabernacle in the wilderness. Exodus 29 and 37. See, when when, when Moses took them out, uh, he sprinkled the blood over the, the... the scripture that he had and he sprinkled the blood over the people and as soon as the blood made contact with the people, God said, build me a tabernacle so that I can dwell among you because the more interaction we have with the blood, the closer contact we have with God. And so he is preparing this tabernacle and he establishes this concerning the altar in verse 37 of chapter 29 of Exodus. Seven days you will make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, for it shall be an altar most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall be holy. 
So the blood was applied. The, the altar, this brazen altar, came from natural things, and it required that, that some of the men from the camp prepare it. They put it together. So, I mean, why can't just anybody in any of one of the other tents say, hey, I can build that. I'll put one of those things together. What makes that altar different than anything that somebody else could build? It was the way that God prepared it. God said, put the blood on the altar. Seven days, this application of the blood sanctifying the altar and whatever touches the altar shall be holy. So that means when I bring my offering to the Lord, it's laid upon that altar. Now that's a holy offering to the Lord. Whatever touches the altar will be made holy. And Hebrews 13.10 says we have an altar. You and I have an altar. Jesus shed his blood on an altar that we refer to as the cross. And, and what makes that altar? That we know that he carried his blood into the Holy of Holies. And that blood is there today. If you walked today into the Holy of Holies in heaven, you will find that the blood of our Savior, our Lamb, is alive on that altar. It's not dried, coagulated blood. It's living blood. It's, it's, it's blood that has a voice. It says the blood of Abel spoke out from the ground. It spoke vengeance. Have vengeance on me. But it says that the blood of Jesus speaks better things. It speaks mercy, mercy on them. Have mercy on them. So the blood is there. We have an altar. We have an altar and our altar is carrying blood that is different from the animal blood that the Old Testament worshipers brought. Our altar is covered in the blood of our Savior, the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. So this blood is our approach to God. 1 Peter 1 speaks of that redemption. 1 Peter 1, let's look at 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, redeemed, Let's talk about the word redeemed because uh, other than coupons, you may have never heard it outside of church. You'll say on the coupon, this coupon is redeemable for. What is redeemed? How does redeemed affect us? The word used here in this verse is a word that specifically referred to the slave market in the in the the day that this Roman, uh, the, the language uh, was, this Greek language was used. It referred specifically to a Roman slave market and to the, altar, to the auction block of the slave market. So it's talking about a purchase from that auction block. So it's not just something that's bought at a store. This is a specific purchase. The the reason this word is used, it is specifically talking about he purchased you off the auction block of sin. You were on the auction block and there was a bid going up, the highest bid, the highest bid to pay the highest price for the sin that was present and operative in your life. And there was no way you could get yourself, nor could I get myself off the auction block. I didn't have enough money to buy my freedom. I didn't have enough money to pay that price that was being demanded. There was no negotiation. There was no trying to bring the price down lower. There was no uh, uh, interaction to say, I'm not willing to pay that price. Will you take that price? No, Jesus stepped up and said, highest price, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I'll pay it. Whatever is demanded, I'll pay it. So this, when it says redeemed, it's speaking of delivery from slavery by purchase. Delivery 
from slavery by purchase. The only way he could liberate us from the slavery to sin. When I look at this, I know the devil was the one who, who brought the sin into the earth, but sin was the demand. The wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6 says. The wages of sin. And because I was born in sin, I was, I was, I was a sinner by nature because of Adam's fall. We all were. Even if you weren't a bad person, you still needed Jesus. Right? But we, we were sinners by nature. And we had no way to purchase ourselves out of that condition. We had no way to deliver ourselves out of that condition. So Jesus had to pay the price. He had to provide the necessary payment. The wages of sin is death. So death was the necessary payment. Death was what every one of us owed. We all deserve to die. We all deserve... Jesus never sinned. So there was no... When He came, there was no demand placed on Him that says, you've got to die to pay for your sin. Because He never sinned. He didn't know that debt. Jesus did not have a sin debt. But because he willingly died as the lamb, that blood became an appropriate payment for whosoever will believe on it. Hallelujah. We are redeemed. We know that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. FBIMA students, what does conversation mean? Behavior. Behavior. And if you see the word conversation in the New Testament, look it up in the Strongs. It's behavior. We were redeemed not with corruptible things from our vain behavior received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious. Now, we use the word precious in a light kind of way. In this society, we say, oh, that's precious. Look at that little baby. That baby's precious. And we, we, it, it means cute. It means so sweet. It means so innocent. But the word precious is referring to value. It would be more appropriate in the way that we would speak of a precious gem. We would, we're referring to the value of that diamond. We're referring to the value of that ruby or that emerald. We're saying that's a precious gem. Its value is in a category different than just average. And so the, when it says precious, we are redeemed, we are purchased from slavery by the valuable, costly, highly honored blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. But was manifested on the cross. Manifested when he came to the earth as a man. He agreed to do it from the beginning. He agreed to do it, but then the manifestation of that redemption came over 2,021 years ago. You know, the reason that this year is 2,021 it's because it marks 2,021 after, years after the death of Christ. Everything previous is B.C., before Christ, right? So we, we recognize 
that we live in a time, I mean, we think 2,021 years is a long time until you start thinking about eternity. Until you start reading the Bible and you think, well, how long ago was that? All of those people that we read about in the Old Testament, they were living in that before Christ period, in that, in that time before the blood was available. And the only access they had to God was through the blood of animals. They had to bring an offering of that innocent blood to cover their sin condition so that they could have some kind of communication and interaction with God. Hallelujah. When we see that difference and we begin to see how much we have in Christ, it should make us want to come every day. I mean, woo, I got it good. I can come into his presence. I don't have to stop at the gate. I don't have to stop at the brazen altar. I don't have to stop. I'm not limited to just that outer court worship of God. I'm not limited to the holy place. I can come all the way in to the holy of holies. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Know ye not that you are the temple? It is the word naos in the New Testament means that the holy of holies dwells on the inside of your spirit. You are the holy of holies and you are the holy of holies and you are the holy of holies. In our spirit because we are washed in the blood, we are containers of the glory of God. His presence dwells within us. We don't have to go somewhere to find Him. We don't have to try to appease anybody else to get entrance to God. We come by the blood. Hallelujah. It should make us want to come every day. It should, when we begin to really build our faith in the blood, it should give us such a boldness in his presence. Not, not, not sassiness, not, um, not somebody being uh, ostentatious. With, oh, yeah, I'm coming to you, God. No, but a boldness to say, good morning, Father. I'm here today and I'm washed. I'm here today and I'm cleansed. I'm here today and I'm sin free because Jesus has washed me and Jesus has cleansed me. And I'm so glad to be your child and I have so much to tell you about what's going on in my life. And God says, oh, I've got so much to tell you about what I have planned for you today. That boldness instead of that timidity of, I am a poor, wayfaring stranger. God wants to hear you rejoicing in everything Jesus has made you. He wants you bold. Bold in the blood. Bold by the blood. Because of the blood we have boldness. It's the blood that makes us bold in the presence of God. It's the blood that makes us say, I'm righteous. Listen, it's not your emotions. Your emotions are never going to say, Woo, you're so righteous. Your emotions are telling you, you are a loser. Your emotions are telling you, you're not all that. Listen, we don't let our emotions have anything to do with our our interaction with God. The Word of God is what's telling my emotions how they're going to act. Amen? So he says, he says here that we are redeemed with this costly blood, this highly honored blood. And it was foreordained but manifest for us on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In 1 John 1 and 7, we know that this blood has a continual interaction for us. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is talking about our continual interaction with God. The word sin means to miss the mark. 
Now, I will tell you, I don't miss the mark today like I did 28 years ago, 30 years ago. The way I missed the mark before Christ, I was a sinner by nature before Christ. And sin was just the natural flow of my life. And so you've heard my testimony uh, of how God set me free from addiction and set me free from a life of crime. And so when I came to Him and I started walking in the light, I, I, at those same missing of the mark were not in my life. But I did have times that I've missed the mark since the day I received Jesus as Lord. There have been times that I've walked in the flesh and I let my anger have my mouth. There have been times that I held, held grudge. There's been times that I refused to forgive and God had to deal with me about forgiving that person. There have been times that I was critical and God had to deal with me about criticism. And you know, I have found this, the more I walk with God, the less and less I miss it because I'm practicing every day. I'm practicing every day in His Word and responding. The moment, if I get out of line, and He, he is so faithful to say, Ooh, Michelle, that's a bad attitude. And I say, Forgive me, Lord, and I fix it. He says, Michelle, that's not the right thought. Forgive me, Lord, and I fix it. Michelle, you don't need to be watching that. Forgive me, Lord, and I turn it. Right? So He's, he's, he's a good, good Heavenly Father who will correct me if I get out of line. But I don't miss it near like I used to miss it when I first was, was saved. But notice, if we miss the mark, what's available for us? So the blood isn't just a one-time interaction in my life. I'm consistently interacting with that blood. It says the blood of Jesus. If I walk in the light... As he is in the light. That's some of those examples I just gave. That was light coming to me on the decisions that I was making, the words I was saying, the attitudes that I was having. When I'm walking in the light, then that blood is available. Forgive me, Lord. And what's, what's the cleansing agent to forgive me of that error that I just made? The blood. The blood. He cleanses us from all... The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So verse 9 if we confess our sin. So when I miss it, hallelujah, praise God, I have to confess it. If we confess. So it's not just automatic then, isn't it? Remember the blood on the doorpost? wasn't just automatic because they had the lamb. They had to take the blood of the lamb and put the blood where it needed to be placed. So if I miss it, I need to repent, confess my sin to God. Lord, I was wrong. Forgive me. Help me not do that again. Help me not have that attitude. Help me to change the way I see that, Lord. Forgive me for the way that, that I almost ran that person off the road. <laughs> if we confess... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelation 1 and verses 5 and 6. The worship of heaven is about the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 1, 5, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The cleansing of the blood established our capacity to become kings and priests unto God. Without the blood cleansing, we cannot take that role and stand in that place as kings and priests unto God. Hallelujah. The washing of the blood is necessary for every person. Now, I want to answer one question in the few moments that I have left. One question. What makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? What makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? Well, first of all, the life of God was in the blood of Jesus. 
Look with me at Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. What makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? God's blood. God's life was in that blood. Remember the, the, it says the life is in the blood? Hallelujah. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. Hallelujah. He purchased with His blood. If you were able to walk into heaven today and take a DNA sample of the blood that's on the mercy seat in heaven and you were to run that DNA test, you would come back and with the test that God is the Father. Jesus was not born of the human lineage with a man as His Father. He was legally born a human with God as His Father. The Word of God, the creative power of the Word of God, everything that exists on this planet was created by the Word of God and God's Word became flesh in the womb of a woman named Mary and that Word from God became a man legally born into the human race with a genealogy that we can find listed in Matthew chapter 1 with a legal right in the human body but there was a different blood flowing in his veins. The blood was not connected to Adam's blood. The blood was not sin-tainted in any way. Every human being born after Adam's fall had blood that was contaminated by sin. So when Jesus, the reason why we are so emphatic that Jesus was born of a virgin is because that's what makes the difference in His blood. That's what makes the difference in His blood. There is no, there's no man with fallen blood connected to the birth of Jesus. The Father God birthed Jesus through His spoken word. She received, Mary received the word and the word became flesh. And the life of God in Jesus is what gave His blood its value. The life of God in Jesus' blood is what gave that blood its value. I don't know exactly how many quarts of blood is in the human body. Do I have any nurses who could tell me how many quarts of blood are in the the human body? But however many, that's how much blood Jesus had in His body. God's blood in Jesus' body. When He poured that blood out on the altar, our altar, when He poured that blood out, And it was evidently captured in some way because that blood, where is it today? It's on the mercy seat. You know, when Jesus told Mary, don't touch me, after He had had resurrected from the dead, He said, don't touch me. I'm going to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. Hallelujah. Don't touch me. Why? Because I'm going to God to put the blood on the mercy seat. I'm going to God to put the blood. After that, he came in and said, touch me. Go ahead, put your hand right there. Put your your whole hand in my side, Thomas. He didn't have a problem with being touched, but in that preparation to enter into the holy of holies of heaven and bring his blood, that because of Adam's fall, all of the, the worship instruments and furniture in heaven, he, he brought His blood in and He cleansed the way and He made the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4. 
15. Is God's word truth? Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. Jesus' blood is so valuable because Jesus never sinned. It is sinless blood. When He shed His blood on the cross, He was completely innocent. He didn't have to pay for His sin debt first because then He wouldn't have anything left to pay for ours. He didn't have a sin debt because He was without sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus was without sin. And then number three. So first of all, what makes the blood of Jesus so powerful? The life of God was in the blood of Jesus. Number two, it was sinless blood. Number three, Jesus is the lamb that God provided. John chapter 1. John the Baptist made a statement that those standing around him could comprehend the meaning of what he said, but I'm not sure they quite grasped the reality of what he said. We know from what we read in the book of Exodus chapter 12 that God instructed in the very first Passover that every house have a lamb provided for it. And he made it the father's responsibility to go provide the lamb. And he said, let every man get a lamb for his house. Every man get a lamb for his house. It's the father's responsibility to provide a lamb. And so throughout the years, all of these people worshiping under the Old Testament protocols understood what it meant to provide a lamb for a house. And they, in their understanding, said, with the Lamb, our sin is covered. With the the blood of the Lamb, we can interact with God. God's blessing can be upon our life. We can ask of Him and receive His help. With With the blood covering, they understood that that's what was exampled in the Lamb for my house. And so they did, year after year after year after year, they brought their Lamb to God. They brought a lamb so that their house would have an interaction with God, so that their family would know the blessing of God, the protection of God, the keeping of God. But John the Baptist stands up and he makes a statement with a boldness of the Spirit. He makes a statement that they all understood the concept, but how many of them said, what? What do you mean? Because he is now declaring not just a lamb that can cover your sin, but he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away, takes away. I've never encountered a blood that could take away sin. I've never known that blood could take away sin. The only interaction with blood we've ever had has been to cover our sin, but it was still there for us to have to deal with, for us to have to cover year after year. But he said, the Father has provided a lamb for the house. Every man provide a lamb for his house. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin. That takes away the sin. It was a new concept. It's our reality. It's our reality. It's our reality to see the difference in what is ours compared to what was available through the blood of animals should inspire us to come draw near to God, to come with a boldness, to come with an eagerness. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this difference. 
in what was available in the Old Testament and what's available to us in the New. Hebrews 10.1 says, The law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. We've done a lot of studying about the word perfect in talking about spiritual maturity. And we found out that the word perfect means developed or complete, brought to a complete stage. It says that the blood that they offered with the animal sacrifices could never make their relationship with God complete. It could never make their relationship with God developed. It was something that every year fell short and they had to repeat it again the next year. And that's why, that's why the law was just a shadow. The law was a shadow. Those, that animal sacrifice was a temporary holding pattern. But in Christ, in Christ, same chapter, verse 14, it says, by one offering, He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. He has completed. By one offering, He has completed my relationship with God. You can't do anything to make yourself more righteous with God. You can, you can be more obedient to His Word. You can, you can walk more in the light. You can grow. You can develop in those stages. But you can't do anything to make yourself more righteous than the blood made you. I mean, what are you going to add to the blood? That, nothing of value compared to it. If there, there's nothing that is even on the same scale of value that I could put up there. If, if you were to find every, every shred of gold, silver... Uh, uh, every diamond, every ruby, every emerald and pile it up in one huge pile and say, God, this is for my, my sin. He would say, that's not even going to touch the sin bed. But one drop of the blood of Jesus is so valuable in the estimation of God. <laughs> By one offering... He has completed. We put our faith in that. We put our faith in that. Let me show you another comparison. Verse 2 of Hebrews 10. For then, then, if it would have made them perfect, then would they not have ceased to be offered. The reason they were offered continually is because they were necessary continually. Because the worshipers once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. But it didn't accomplish that, did it? They offered their offerings and the blood of the animals could never cleanse their conscience. They knew they were sinners. Oh, but we have a greater supply. Back up one chapter to Hebrews 9 and look at verse 14. Actually, I'll start with 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, how much more shall this blood purge your conscience? If you've never applied the blood to purge your conscience, your righteousness with God will always hit a brick wall. Amen. Because as long as your conscience is telling you, yeah, that happened because of what I did then. And this, that consciousness has to have the blood applied to it. It has to be purged by the blood. When... when I wrote the book, The Guilt, the Shame, and the Blood. This was the verse that God used to bring me to a place in my walk with Him where I could defeat that obstacle. I encountered a difficult situation in my life and I wanted to believe God for it. I wanted to believe God 
to move in that area in my family. But shame of my past. I knew I was forgiven. I knew that I was no longer guilty in the eyes of God. But guilt affects the way that God can deal with me and shame affects the way that I deal with God. So the guilt had been dealt with, but the shame had not. And I had that consciousness of shame. And when I wanted to stand up and believe God to save the baby in my womb that the doctors were saying would not live, all I could think of at that moment, because I had not dealt with the shame, is this is happening to you because of what you did before you got saved. And pastor said, we're going to believe God. We're going to believe God. And I said, okay. But I couldn't believe God because shame stood up on the inside of me and said, this is all your fault. And God's not going to help you today. If I had known Hebrews 9.14, I might have six children in my, in my present day life instead of five. My child I'll, I'll meet when I... Inner glory. Praise God. But the shame hindered me from operating the righteousness that I am in Christ. Didn't make me less righteous. It just limited my use of my righteousness. Because there was no boldness. If you don't have boldness, you won't operate in your righteousness. And where does the boldness come from? Faith in the blood. If I don't have faith in the blood... It will hinder my stand, my boldness, how I operate in my stand. My, the righteousness is ours the moment we receive Jesus. Because he became sin, who knew no sin, that I could be made the righteousness of God. But for me to operate in that righteousness, I've got to have faith in the blood and that boldness. This verse tells me that there is a working of the blood to cleanse me of all my shame. God wants me to stand before Him shameless. Not because of anything I did, but because of everything Jesus did for me. I'm not who I was. I'm not what I did. I am not identified by the sins I've committed in my past. I am not the number that used to be by my name. Hallelujah. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. Where's my faith? In what the blood did to put me there. It's the blood that purges the conscience so that we can serve God and be the husbands and wives and sons and daughters that He created us to be. So that we can be the the representatives of Him on the earth. If we don't have that boldness by the blood, the enemy will try to use different things just to hold us back. How much more shall the blood... Purge your conscience. Purged. (laughs) Hallelujah. That means we've got to apply it. Final, final example. Hebrews 10.4 says, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It's not possible. The blood of bulls and goats could never fix their problem. That was their problem. That was the hindrance in their relationship with God, sin. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't take it away. But again, chapter 9 and verse 12 this time, 9-12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, Jesus entered into the, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He did take away sin. So the blood of the animals could not make them complete in their relationship with God, but the blood of Jesus makes my relationship with God complete. The blood of the animals could not purge their conscience, but the blood of Jesus, how much more? Shall his blood purge our conscience? And the blood of the animals could not take away sin, but Jesus entered in once, having obtained eternal redemption, meaning our sins have been removed. You are no longer a sinner by nature. 
You are a partaker of the divine nature of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, there was more than just the forgiveness, the forgiving of our sin that we needed. We needed a nature change. We needed the, the old to pass away and for the new to be created. We needed the, the dead man to have the life of God in him. We were all dead in sin. Every human dead in sin. But the life of God is received when we make Jesus Lord and Savior of our life. Hallelujah. Thank you for your blood, Lord. Now, this means that when you read chapter 10, it goes on, and I have closed, but let me just tell you the result of what you've learned today is found in, in verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, What do we have? We have boldness. Boldness to enter. Entering should be something that we don't take for granted, but that we instead come often. Come often. It says says in verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Because we have boldness, because we have an entrance to the presence of God that 2,021 years ago was not available. But because we have this entrance, come, come, draw near. Come to God, talk to God, get God's help. Enter in to receive grace to help in time of need. Don't try to tough it out. Don't walk through it alone. Come knowing that the blood has given me entrance and my heavenly Father wants to help me. He is my ever-present help. He's going to give me light on my situation. He's going to tell me how I can fix this. He's going to walk me through it. Hallelujah. Come to Him. Draw near. Draw near. Draw near, draw near, draw near. Why? Because not everybody used to have this entrance, but we do. We have this entrance. So so make that a well-trodden path in your life into the holy place. Into the holiest of God. Come often, come regularly, and come boldly. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us into the paths that you have prearranged.